0: You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. A few weeks ago, my seven-year-old, he informed me that he wanted to be eight, but not any older than eight. Buddy, why don't you want to be any older than eight? I asked. Well, because when you get old, you die. I just had my 38th birthday this week, so you can pray for me. (laughs) Eight seemed safe and exciting enough, apparently. He has some eight-year-olds in his class, but nine, now that was a different story. Nobody knows what might happen then. Better stick with eight. It's a sobering thing, isn't it, to watch your children start to grow up and wrestle with a reality like death, I think our verses this morning here in Philippians 1 are a great help to dads and moms and teenagers, 20-somethings and 60-somethings, who are asking the biggest questions that we ever ask. What's going to happen when I die? And what does it mean to truly live? A couple of years ago, June 28th, 2021, my then 64 year old dad had a heart attack. I'll never forget the moments that I spent beside his hospital bed that week waiting for quadruple bypass surgery. I felt my own mortality. In those moments as I watched the strongest man I'd ever known suddenly fighting for his life. I know some of you have experienced this too. When you're growing up, dad is the embodiment of strength, almost immortal. If a toy breaks, dad'll fix that. Want to know how planes fly that high? Dad'll know that. My three-year-old, she's been worried that skunks are going to get into her room at night. (laughs) There's a longer story there. So I've told her, I've looked in her eyes and I said, honey, daddy won't let any skunks get into your room tonight. And she believes me (laughs) because I'm daddy. And then dads grow older and their arteries fail. Or they get really sick, or their minds begin to betray them. Slowly, they're a little less superhero and a little more human. And in the process, we begin to learn just how human we are. By God's grace, my dad's doing really well. We're actually coaching basketball together this season. But I thought of him leading up to this message because our conversations over these last couple of years, one in particular, they remind me of these verses. He told me over a heart-healthy lunch at Red Lobster, he told me that he's more aware than ever that every day he has is a day he's been given for Christ that however many days he has left, whether hundreds or thousands or just one, he wants them to honor Jesus. You see, my dad came close enough to death, June 2021, to be able to remind this son how to live. And that's what we have in Philippians 1, 19 through 26. We have a man, an apostle, A spiritual father who has come close enough to death that he's able to tell us whether we're 8 or 38 or 68, he's able to tell us how to live and die well. So let's pray and ask God to show us everything he wants us to see in these verses. God, we want you to speak now through these words that are in front of us. We want your spirit to make them clear, but not just clear, we want you to make them real. And we want you to make them powerful in our lives, in our hearts. We're alive for now, we're in this room, and none of us knows whether we'll live until next year, or next month, or even until next Sunday. And so we need your help now to know how to live. We don't want to waste the time and relationships and gifts that you've given us. So lift up Christ before us now. Show us the immeasurable greatness of his power and the unsearchable depths of his love. For we pray these things in his name. Amen. As we've learned over the last several weeks in Philippians, Paul wrote this letter from prison in Rome. A situation serious enough that his friends in Philippi, they're concerned whether they're ever going to see him again. And on top of the dangers and the hardships of his imprisonment, he had enemies, heard this last week, he had enemies even in the church who were trying to make things even worse for him. I don't want it to be lost on us over the next few months in Philippians, that the most joy-filled letter in the New Testament was written in horrible circumstances. That tells us something, doesn't it? About how much joy we can expect on our worst days. And it tells us something, doesn't it? About how much we might be able to help one another enjoy Jesus even on our hardest days, maybe especially on our hardest days. As Pastor Jonathan showed us last week, Paul responds to all of this imprisonment, mistreatment, betrayal. He responds to it all in an otherworldly way because he had a different passion than the world. And what was that passion? The glory of God magnified through the advance of the gospel. That passion is why he can rejoice even while his enemies preach Christ, verses 15 to 18. That passion is why he can rejoice even while he sits in prison, verses 12 to 14. That passion is why he prays like he does, verses nine through 11. That passion is why his love for these people, it runs deeper and richer than so many of our relationships, verses three through eight. And now in our verses this morning, he's gonna tell us about the passion. He leans in after he shares all of that as if to say, do you want to know the secret? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Our passage begins in verse 19. Yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now right away, what kind of deliverance do you think he's talking about? What's he going to be delivered from? Is he going to be delivered from prison, which is what we might immediately think, because he's in prison, or is he thinking about some other kind of deliverance? Let's keep reading. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Why do I expect that all of this is going to turn out for my deliverance even when it looks like it won't? He doesn't go on to talk about judges changing their minds and letting him out of jail. He doesn't go on to talk about him developing some goodwill with the jailers. He doesn't talk about a group of Christians that are putting together a petition to try to get him out. No, he says, I'm confident this will turn out for my deliverance because I'm confident that whether I live or die, Christ will be honored. That phrase, whether by life or by death, that's the biggest reason I don't think he's mainly talking about deliverance from prison. He can't die in prison and be delivered from prison. I might die here in prison, he's saying, but I'll still be delivered. How could he be delivered without being delivered? I think that question's massively relevant for us. Because I know that some of you are praying for deliverance right now. It's not from prison because you're here. But what you're suffering, it really might feel worse than prison some days. You might prefer prison. Intense prolonged conflict with a loved one. Hostility where you work. Cancer. A child who's walked away from the faith and maybe from you. By the end of this sermon I'm praying that you'll be able to say to anyone who cares about you. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this pain, this conflict, this cancer, it will turn out for my deliverance. Not necessarily because the pain's gonna get any better or because the relationship's gonna improve. No, but because I believe my life and my suffering and even my death will say something true and beautiful and loud about how much Jesus means to me, about how much he's done for me, about how much I can't wait to go and spend the rest of my days with him. What kind of deliverance is Paul expecting? Not mainly deliverance from prison. We'll see he does expect that too. No, he's, he's expecting deliverance from spiritual ruin. From the temptations, the intense temptations that come with suffering. He's, he's going to be delivered from walking away from Christ. I'm confident I will be delivered, he says, because I'm confident that whether I die, Christ will look great. And that's all I really want. I count everything as loss, he'll say in chapter 3, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That's what deliverance looks like, the most important kind of deliverance, the deliverance that each and every one of us needs, and especially in suffering. These next verses then, they, they are a mural of the delivered life. The life freed from self and sin and death and filled with this Jesus. He says, I know that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We know that verse. We might have memorized that verse almost by accident. We've heard it so much. And we think we get it, but do we really get it? Could you explain it to a seven-year-old? These next verses, they help us see both sides of this precious life-altering and death-altering verse. And those are my two main points for this morning. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Let's start with death, though, with the second half of the verse. I know that Christ will be honored in my body by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How is Christ honored in a dying person's body? He says, our death honors Christ when we begin to see our death not as a loss, not as the end, Not as defeat, not ultimately as a tragedy, but as gain. How could he see that in death? How could Paul look at death, even death alone, in horrible circumstances and somehow see victory, reward, gain? the next verse as they take us deeper beginning in verse 22 if i am to live in the flesh to live as christ if i am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which i shall choose i cannot tell i'm hard pressed between the two my desire is to depart and be with christ for that is far better now of course paul doesn't really get to choose Jesus asked, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Luke 12. Paul's not actually choosing life or death here. He's just letting us into his heart to see what he wants. I'm hard pressed between the two, he says. A big part of me wants to stay and live a little longer here with you. And we'll see why in a minute. But if I'm honest, I'd rather go home. I'm so ready to feel my last aches and pains, to have my last hard conversations, to wipe away my last tears. More than all of that, though, I'm so ready to finally, at last, to see him. to set aside this foggy mirror I've been looking at all these years, and to finally look at Him, wonderful Counselor, everlasting Father, mighty God, Prince of Peace in the flesh. The seeable, huggable, high-fiveable God. I'm going to know Him. I'm going to know Jesus just as he's known me all these years. First Corinthians 13. Oh, how badly I want to stay, Paul's saying, and help you see more clearly and understand more deeply and love more fully and obey more joyfully. But it, it would be so much better for me if this apostle left you for now and went to be a kindergartner, a beginner in glory. Notice here, he doesn't diminish the goodness, the joys of this earthly life at all. From an earthly perspective, Paul's life wasn't all that great. It was horrible when he wrote these verses and he still wants to stay. God has filled this broken, sinful world with people and pleasures and experiences with really good gifts that hint at heaven and help us long for heaven. I've got three small kids There are moments every single week when I stop and think, I just want this to last forever. Now, there are plenty of other moments when I'm asking, when will this ever end? (laughs) But there are moments I want to hold on to. When we tickle them and they giggle until they cry. When they say certain words really, really wrong. When they learn how to do something for the first time and then they do that same thing a thousand times a day for a week. When they come up, snuggle up next to you and tell you they love you for no reason at all. Having a Philippians 1.21 heart, it doesn't mean that you despise the joys and giggles of life here on earth. It doesn't. It just means you realize that another life's coming, another world, and that that world is better than this one, even at its best. And not by a little bit better, but better by far, he says. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, verse 23, for that is far better. And what is the better? What is the game? It's not weeks without work or years without taxes. It's not endless tea times on the golf course or more girls' nights out. It's not your favorite foods at your favorite restaurants, and you never have to wait or pay. Let me just say, I for one believe all those things are going to happen in heaven and that they're going to be way better than we could ever expect. Let me tell you, nothing you enjoy in this life is going to get worse in heaven. But he tells us, he tells us what the best, better will be. It's in the same verse. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He puts a face to the game. Death for believers, is better than life because it's death that finally gives us Christ. All of Christ with all of our senses meeting all of our needs and satisfying all of our lingering, gnawing desires. He is the gain. In college, I read a paragraph that I'll never forget. It changed my life. It still haunts me uh, in the very best way. This is what it says. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there, will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. The gospel is a way to get people to God. I still remember where I was on campus when I read that chapter. It felt like I had stumbled into a land I had never seen before. Like I was sailing on an ocean I'd never sailed before. It felt like a favorite meal that I had never tasted before. I really believe that those were the moments when God became heaven for me. When he was no longer the God, just the God who makes heaven and who lets sinners like me into heaven, but that he himself was actually what makes heaven, heaven. That if I was there, even for thousands and thousands of years, he would still be the very best part of living there. Do you believe that? This Jesus, he's not, the, not only just the only way to get to heaven, he really is what makes heaven worth wanting. He is the great meal, he is the ocean, he is the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great price. He's our gain. And if that's true, if we really think that way, how awesome will he look when we die? While everyone around us in the hospital clings to the last days that they have here, while they scramble to try and make it to a couple of more things on their bucket list, we're going to be the really strange people, really strange, who have this deep and abiding peace. Who keep talking about how much better life's about to get who are free to spend the last days and hours that we have here on earth on other people and their needs who smile even through horrible pain. We're gonna be the strange and beautiful people who use our last breaths, our dying breaths in the hospital bed, in hospice care with wires and monitors all over us. We're gonna use our last breaths to sing When we die like that, what will our death say about Jesus? It's gonna make him look more valuable than anything this life could ever give and anything that death could ever take. Don't you wanna die like that? As we turn now to the first half of the verse, 21. Then I, I want us just to quickly see the relationship between these two phrases: to live as Christ, to die as gain. We're about to see what to live as Christ means as a way of life. What a strange person like this actually does with weeks and months and years that they've been given. But before we even get to that, to the kinds of things they might do, we're already seeing who they are. We're seeing their heart, their passion. You see, the kind of person who honors Christ with their life will always be the kind of person who sees death as better than this life. They glorify God with their life because they want Jesus more than life. I first learned this, like many of you, from John Piper. He famously says, God is most glorified in us in life, in death, in joys and sorrows, in marriage and parenting and singleness, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God will be most glorified in our lives when death is gain. When we know that the last day we live here on earth, the day we die, will be the best day we've ever lived. Yet. So now in the next couple of verses, he turns to explain to live is Christ. We've seen how a death honors Jesus. Now what about a life? A life like ours? He's already said, verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Fruitful labor, that's the first part of our answer. What does it mean to live is Christ? But what does fruitful labor actually mean? He tells us, verses 24 through 26, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. It would be better, far better, to go and be with Jesus. But I'm convinced it's more necessary for now that I stay and keep laboring among you. And what is the labor? What does he need to stay and do for them? He tells us, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. The fruitful labor that Paul stays to do is to work for others' progress and joy in the faith. He stays to help them grow in their faith in Jesus and then to love What they learn and believe and enjoy about Jesus. In death, we get Jesus finally and forever. In life, we get to give Jesus to people who desperately need Jesus. If we live for another day or month or year, it's because someone around us needs help Believing in and enjoying Jesus. That's how Paul thinks about his life and about yours. This is why you're alive, to help someone else keep believing in Jesus. Do you think about your life that way? Do you look at your days or weeks or decades of life as a gift that God has given you to give other people God? To live is Christ. To live is to hold up Christ. The treasure, the pearl, the meal for one another. But what does it really mean practically to live for someone else's progress and joy in the faith? What would that look like? Does Paul give us any hints about what that life might actually look like? He gives us lots of hints. His letters are filled with this kind of life. But I'll just limit ourselves... We'll just limit ourselves right now to the book of Philippians. What does it look like to live for one another's progress and joy in the faith? It looks like praying for one another, like he prays for the believers in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and especially praying for one another's souls in the Lord. It looks like calling one another to obey Christ, to live lives worthy of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 27 It looks like meeting practical needs for one another, like this church does for Paul in chapter 4, verse 14. It looks like honoring one another, like Paul honors Epaphroditus, chapter 2. Sometimes it looks like warning one another. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, chapter 3. It looks like reconciling believers with one another when there's conflict or division, like like Paul does in in chapter four, verse two. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. It looks like reminding one another of heaven, chapter three, verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. It looks like, get this, just having more conversations about Jesus. Any of you can do all of those things. Guys, these aren't things that apostles do or even that pastors do. These are things Christians get to do for one another. We live for however long we live for one another's progress and joy in the faith. To live is Christ. Paul strikes one more note here on this part, just verse 26. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. If I live for a little longer, he's saying, I want to give you more reasons to worship Jesus, and not just a few reasons, but a lot of reasons, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's not living for a bare minimum Christianity, a bare minimum spiritual influence on others. No, day by day, he wants to pile on the reasons, as many as he possibly can, for those that he knows and loves to trust and enjoy Jesus. That's why he lives. So when God brings someone into your life, are they better off spiritually for being there? Are they a lot better off spiritually for being there? What if you started looking at your relationships, family, community group and life group, neighbors, coworkers, friends, and you tried to give them ample cause to love and glorify Jesus? How much more spiritual good could you do And what might happen, what good might happen through those for whom you do the good in all of their relationships? Again, I want you to notice, he, does, he says, I'm hard pressed between the two. And I think he means it. This life, this kind of life and this kind of death. So even though to depart and be with Christ is far better, Paul really does want both. It's, yeah. it's gain to die, there's no question but it's not lost to stay and live for Jesus. To live for Jesus, despite how much it cost him, despite how little fruit he saw at times, despite the fact that he might live the rest of his life in prison, to live for Jesus was its own reward. Therefore, he could gladly say, to die is gain for me, And to live is Christ for you, my joy and crown. Before we close then, I just want to briefly go back to the beginning of our passage and look at how this kind of Christ-honoring life and this kind of Christ-honoring death happen. If God delivers us from walking away from Christ, if he helps us honor Christ till the very end, how does that happen in me, in you? Where do we get the strength and focus we need to keep going in the Christian life till the very end? Paul gives us two quick glimpses, so quick that we might completely overlook them, but I just think they're too good for us to pass over as a church. You've already heard these verses, but we need to hear them just one more time. Yes, and I will rejoice, verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out for my deliverance. Why is Paul so confident that he's going to make it to the end, that he'll keep honoring Christ even in prison, even under persecution, even if it costs him his life? Because you're praying for me, he says. Do you ever pray like this church prayed for Paul? Do we pray like this for one another? God, I know what Mike is going through right now. I know the kinds of pressures and temptations he's facing this week. Jesus strengthen him to honor you through this. God, you've given Preston heavy callings in this season. Husband, provider, student, friend. Keep making Jesus look great through him. God, you know more than anyone, you know how hard it can be to stay at home with small children. Draw near to Faye, to Amelia, to Mackenzie, to Joanna. Unveil the beauty of your son to these women again today, and then through them to their children, their husbands, and to everyone else they know. God, you know how much forest and page are hurting right now. How heavy this loss has been. Comfort them, fortify them against the evil one. Deliver them through this, O oh Lord. Help them honor you even in their grief. Do you pray like that for anyone? Does anyone pray like that for you? If we commit to praying like this for one another City's church, we'll be able to say things like we heard Paul say back in verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will br- bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we've prayed for you. I know that you're going to keep honoring Christ no matter what happens to you. Why? Because we've prayed for you. Or verse 19, I know this horrible circumstance will turn out for my deliverance. Because you've prayed for me. Prison can't overcome these kinds of prayers. Cancer can't overcome these kinds of prayers. All the armies in the world can't overcome these kinds of prayers. Why? Because God loves to answer prayers like these. Doesn't he? Paul tells us, Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. God doesn't answer these prayers from afar. No, He comes up close. He lives inside of us by His Spirit. His Spirit lives within us, and as He does, God's strength becomes our strength. His patience becomes our patience. His love becomes our love by the Spirit right now in whatever callings each of you have. You have everything you could possibly need to honor Christ, whether by life or by death, because that Christ, He lives in you and He's gonna help you. Now we come to the table and nothing feels more fitting, right? Paul wanted the Philippians to have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, and that's exactly what we do when we gather together around this table each week. We come to glory in Christ Jesus together. This is why, if you were ever wondering, this is why we lift our cups up high. We're not just having some private secret moment alone with the Lord here. No, we, we hear week after week, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're proclaiming Christ and his cross to one another here again in this moment. We're reminding one another loaf by loaf, cup by cup, to live is Christ. And how sweet it is to live a life more fully devoted to him. And we're reminding one another week after week to die is gain, however good it gets here. And sometimes it's really, really good. However good it gets here, it's going to be better and not by a little bit better. So let's lift our little glasses just a little higher this morning to that life to come. And then let's live the little fleeting lives that we've been given for the glory of this great Christ. Let me pray. Father, as I've prayed for this message, I've felt deeply with particular faces in my mind, faces that are in front of me. I felt deeply how hard it can be to believe that deliverance is coming. I felt how hard it can believe that death really will be better than even the best days here. I felt just how many distractions and trials can keep us from living the kind of life that Paul describes here, from taking our eyes off of our reason for living. And so I pray now through your word that you would recapture our eyes, our hearts, and our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.